It's 2022. Do you know where your consumer is? The Channel Mastery Podcast is created for executives who are obsessed with knowing everything about their target consumers, because that's what unlocks the future success and impact of our brands and businesses today. Every week on this podcast, we dig deep to bring you what's working and what's not when it comes to winning the attention of and building loyalty with your target consumer. We've got a lot to share, so let's get to it. And thanks so much to Verde Brand Communications for being the presenting sponsor of the Channel Mastery Podcast. Let's do this. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're just joining us for the first time, a big welcome to you, and we're so happy you're here. And to all of our loyal listeners, thank you so much for tuning in again and for your patience with our publishing schedule of late here at Channel Mastery. I mean, let's face it, 2022 has been quite a year so far, hasn't it? The pace of change is pretty staggering, and we all know more change is on the horizon. Here we are in July of 2022, so mid-year. Like you, the team at Verde has been full gas, working to stay ahead of the challenges with our clients. My apologies, sincerely, that this podcast has taken a backseat of late. So Many of you may or may not know or remember that this show was founded about five years ago to help specialty business leaders navigate the retail apocalypse. Remember those headlines? At that time, those headlines were rampant. A lot of our clients here at Verde really were uh, realizing they had to make some pretty drastic changes with their distribution, both with content and product. And the whole business seemed to kind of take a different footing at that time. And there really weren't any resources available which is why we invented this podcast and launched it. The retail apocalypse really seems so over five years ago. It's like more like last century. It also seems relatively simple compared to the complexity of what we're looking at together today in our businesses. Inflation, the supply chain was ongoing. Very worrisome national and global headlines all of which are fueling consumer sentiment and behavior change like we've never seen. And we've been talking about consumer sentiment and behavior change for five years. That has been our North Star and will continue to be here at Channel Mastery is understanding how to be masterful to the consumer. The team at Verity and I were so fired up to help create specific resources back then to assist passionate specialty business leaders And guess what? We are even more excited to do that through what we're calling the great unpleasantness, (laughs) the great unpleasantness of COVID-19, but also just sort of what's happening in, in the world and all the change that we're navigating. It's not all unpleasant. There's some great things that are happening as well, but point being is we've got some challenges and we need some new resources. And frankly, we need to create those for you, our community, and we're going to be doing just that. So we're going to double down here at Verde on the Channel Mastery Podcast, community and content. We're very committed to getting our content offerings and how we serve you, our beloved community, up to an entirely new level. We're being called on to give our best now as business leaders. It's an opportunity that we have here. And Channel Mastery is evolving to give you what you need to be just that kind of a leader. Now let's focus on today because we have a fantastic show for you. We wanted to get warmed up for next week's kickoff, and so we're bringing you an interview with none other than Kimo Seymour, Senior Vice President at Lifetime and leader of the events and partnership marketing business there. Kimo's here to give us a state of consumer events, and Lifetime is the leader and resource to inform us on just that. They lead a very important group of channels that feed into consumer events, all of which defines a very special experience. 
not the same across all of their events, but there are some intricacies that chemo goes into today that bring a lot of insight to this very important, almost real-time measure of the outdoor recreation space and the passion industries we're all in. So here's the Chemo Seymour interview on the Channel Mastery Podcast. Let's do this. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I'm so excited to have Chemo Seymour back with us here today. Welcome back to the show, Chemo. It's great to have you. Thanks, Kristen. I think I'm more excited than you to be here. Oh, it's and honestly, we've we've talked over, you know, the past few years, just so the audience knows we're recording this in early mid-May 2022. And we've had some conversations over the past two and a half, three years, haven't we, in terms of just looking at, you know, how business has changed, what the consumers are going through with what I like to call the great unpleasantness of the pandemic. <laughs> I'd say that's a good way to put it. We've, yes. we've, we've probably sh- shared a few, uh, we probably could have shared a couple joints to calm our nerves over the last couple yes. of years. But it's been <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, it has, it has, but the beautiful thing is here we are uh, not quite through the pandemic because obviously who knows when that's going to happen, but we are at a fantastic precipice. I think Um, lifetime just wrapped up a very successful sea otter challenge, sea otter classic, which also included the sea otter summit. Um, Your team rallied for an absolutely huge successful effort there. Um, And I just wanted to kind of start by um, introducing you back to the audience kind of at this point in time, really as a a great resource for consumer events. And with that, I'd love for you to kind of describe the portfolio of lifetime consumer events. And um, then we'll kind of get into some of the great uh, insights that you'll be sharing here today. Well, as you know, Kristen, we, you know, lifetime we've, uh, in in our events business, we've been, you know, primarily focused on, on, you know, endurance and athletic event experiences, right? And over the years, we've built our business, uh, really kind of catering to creating, um, what you know, we call great experiences, or we hope to ha- have great experiences for our quote-unquote consumers, which are primarily athletes, um, and and that's where we focused our, our our business. But over the last couple of years, this, you know, the opportunities come along to really um, to really shift some of that focus towards really um, you know not necessarily even participant focus, but more consumer focus, as you mentioned. So, the acquisition of Sea Otter was a, is a perfect example, and then some of the, gro- the growth we've seen at some of our other larger events with expos, um, more and more interest of brands wanting to come out and connect with our audiences. We've really we found a new I don't know if you'd call it a niche, but a new maybe a new opportunity, um, and and seem to be uh, enjoying a little bit of success there. Well, we're going to get into the expos and I'm really excited to dive in there. But it's, I mean, I think that the the platform through the communities that you've built over the past few years and kept alive and growing through COVID, which was just a, a mark of um, a commitment to be nimble, to rise to the occasion. Your team was so creative in terms of enabling the lifetime event communities to, to stick together while they couldn't get together around their passions. I think just created this even a deeper loyalty and trust among the community around Lifetime, which is really fantastic to see. And the brands are noticing, I think, that there is a great affinity from the consumer to belong to these events. And when they're at the expo, it's like a completely different 
activation that they get to have with a very, very enthusiastic consumer base and the family of the those you know athletes. Um, so let's talk about uh, just general trends around consumer excitement with your events. I mean, I think it's fair to say things have bounced back in a pretty healthy way uh, in 2022, but I'd love to maybe grab a couple high points from you in terms of what you're seeing with consumer behavior around the, a lifetime event portfolio. You know they ha- they have bounced back um, really well. We're we we we're really excited. And it started with um, you know an event that we have coming up here in about three weeks called Unbound. It started a year ago with Unbound. That was really our first event back, and we were kind of ple- pleasantly surprised with the demand for across our portfolio. Starting in June of last year through the end of the year, we sold out most of our events. Um, we the the demand uh, came roaring back. We definitely saw higher demand on the cycling side um, than we did on triathlon and traditional road running. We we do have uh, some larger road running events and a couple larger triathlons. Um, so we definitely saw the the recovery come back quicker in the cycling brands. But that's also, you know, as you know, that's where we've focused more of our growth the last few years and and put a lot of our energy. So as you say, building those communities around these events and then investing in the physical communities at these events, that's that's where we I think we've seen some success. And 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 that's where you know it it seems to have paid dividends with the interest and the demand and those, you know, those those small communities that help us host these big events. Uh that's that's definitely where we've seen the energy come back the quickest. That's amazing. And as we're looking, like let's try and maybe bridge Sea Otter Classic with that, because obviously that's a new event in the lifetime portfolio. You you finished that acquisition, I believe, in Q3 of 2021. You held an October version of it, which was in person. And that was, I think, people were excited to get back together, but it was really at the wrong calendar moment, especially for the brands in terms of how they're used to activating at Sea Otter on the bike side. But let's talk about the success and kind of the growth because that really was a bellwether. The same way Unbound was last year in 2021 as kind of the first major consumer, you know, mass cycling event (laughs) that had a ton of people covering it on YouTube and just, you know, sharing for many, many weeks, like longer than I think we were used to seeing. People were sharing their content. And now, you know, here we are in 2022 and Literally, Seattle Classic became one once again the kickoff to the cycling season. Um, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about the just the complexion of that this year because I know there was some expansion on the event side. We'll obviously be getting into some of that later in our in our interview here. But like when you were packing up and heading to to the airport after Seattle, what were you thinking? Were like the biggest surprises and the biggest successes. You think after uh, you're asking after Sea Otter last fall or Sea Otter here in April? This in year? April of this year, you know, I think the uh, the biggest successes that we saw with Sea Otter in April of 2022, um, it was that that the consumer was ready to come back and the brands were ready to come back. Uh, no question, we were up um, basically matched 2019's numbers, uh, exceeded 2019's numbers in some areas, but. Basically, across the board, match you know match what what happened in 2019, which was the last real full year before the pandemic. Obviously, that the event was held in in the fall. Uh, participation, you know, across the board, brands showing up, um, you know, total participation down somewhere between 20 and 30 percent, uh, depending on which category you look at. So, you know, walking away from the event this year, just blown away by um, the the excitement, maybe more from the brands that wanted to get back out and reconnect 
um, it was some, you know, some, the, one of the resounding messages we heard was this is the place for the brands to get together and connect again, right. With, um, mm-hmm. uh, w- without Interbike, uh, you know, existing anymore, this is the spot where, where brands can connect and they like, it, it shows us that even on the, on the, you know, on the B2B side, brands still like to connect as much as consumers like to come together and connect with like-minded people, you know? So we always think of our events as this gathering of these communities of, of athletes and their families, and they all love to come together. And you've heard Ken and Mary Lee up in Leadville talk about the Leadville family. It's getting everybody back together every year. And, but the irony is the brands themselves, the, you know, that, that are, that are part of this industry, they love getting back together. And that was, that was pretty neat to see. It was going, you know, out there on, you know, Thursday, uh, during during the summit, I snuck out there for a couple hours, and then you know all day Friday. It's really it's almost more about brands connecting than it is about connecting with the consumers on those first couple of days. It's so interesting because over the years we've seen consumers, you know, they're going to go where they want to go. They're going to connect and engage where they want to connect and engage. And and when Interbike went away, the brands organically made Sea Otter in the cycling industry anyway. They made Sea Otter the place to gather and and there was definitely a b2b component there and i think that you know it's now a platform where they can have everything they can have that interaction they can you know use it as a hub regionally to maybe entertain dealers or or talk about different you know ideas around channels and growth in channels but then they also have the consumer there and like what executive would not want to see their consumer in the wild and tell us like at the end of the day how many um attendees and campers were at Seattle Classic this year you know i think the final numbers were around 72 or 73,000 people came through the festival over 4 days uh, i think we had around 7,000 people camping um, were the last, the final numbers that I saw. So about 6,500 of those 70 plus thousand, about 6,500 of them, uh, actually raced, competed or participated in an event. Um, you know, anything from the grand fondos to the mountain bike events, the gravel events, downhill to the dual slalom. Um, so as you know, lots of different events happening over that four day window. Um, so it was, you know, it, it was, it was very well, uh, attended. Um, I think our, you know, our, our job next year, I I'd really like to see us focus, you know, I, I'm pushing our team to really focus primarily, you know, the, on the, the athlete experience. I think the expo itself, um, is, is doing great. I think what, where we need to put some more energy is, is improving the athlete experience. It's a great, it's a good experience. I wouldn't call it, you know, it's not one of our greatest experiences yet. Um, and, and some of that is just by the nature of the venue, as you know, you've, it's, it's, you know, people are spread out everywhere outside of the lake bed where the expo occurs. We've got starts and finishes and things going on kind of all over the place. And it's hard to create, it's hard to create a gathering place around some of those events. So the team and I are working on how can we create gathering moments or opportunities pre and post race for some of those events that happen? So it feels like, it feels like what it feels like when you finish unbound, you know, downtown Emporia and, and, you know, there's 10,000 people out there at that street festival, right? We want to create, we want to create some, you know, a little bit of, um, uh, add on to the experience just that's beyond just the bike racing that's going on. So that's, that's an area where I think lifetime brings, you know, a little bit of experience to an event like sea otter, 
but I'll tell you, Sea Otter and the team there are teaching us a whole lot about the festival side of things and how to how to how to build an expo and how to how to create an engaging expo. So this has been a it's been a it's been such a fun opportunity to get to learn from this from you know Frank and his whole team. So they're quite seasoned. I almost feel like it's like you know lifetime gets together with the Sea Otter Classic team and like lightning bolts come down. It's like just <laughs> <laughs> creation is happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's really exciting between all yeah between our two entities i think ho- hopefully hopefully you know the athletes the the exhibitors hopefully all of the attendees will see some they'll, they'll see some positive change you know it's only been i mean it's been about eight nine months since we acquired it and we you know right after the acquisition as you said we were right into putting you know hosting one in october and then gosh you know six months flies by and and you know to go from october to april it, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to implement a lot of change. Um, so it was just kind of like, I, I, I joked that we just finished tearing everything down and it was time to start setting back up again. So yeah. I think in the, over the next year, we'll really see, we'll, we'll really see some enhancements start to come to life. I agree. And obviously I was um, so excited to be part of the team that put on the executive summit, the Sea Otter Classic Summit this year under Frank and working with Becca Sands and your team was absolutely incredible. And I feel like we pulled off something special that was a great start. Um, And I love that it's an extension of a platform that everybody trusts. And a lot of, um, I think we were were able to kind of expose non-cycling executives to a consumer that is a cyclist. And that is, you know, obviously like the bread and butter and hub of Seattle Classic, but they obviously had to camp to be there or, you know, potentially had a vehicle supported adventure, you know, type of experience getting there. And I think COVID really taught us that we don't have, obviously the buy, sell cycle, the trade shows aside, we don't have silos around these consumers anymore because the consumer doesn't see, you know, the difference between a cycling event and, you know, you know, they're getting to the event and having the experience and it involves all of the different markets that used to be separate from a buy-sell side. So it's like, it was very interesting to see the consumers, uh, the executives rather come together because they share a consumer. And I'm excited to see how, you know, we're able to kind of continue to have that consumer lead the experience that we're going to be offering those executives. So I I definitely thought that that was an interesting... um, almost like a little Petri dish for us to <laughs> look at before the event happened um, over at Laguna Seca. Right. Yeah. I good. think it was, I, I, yeah, I think we there were a lot of learnings. Um, uh, definitely just phenomenal um, get together with the summit and phenomenal for a first year experience. Couldn't be, couldn't be prouder of the way the team came together and the work that you and your team did to support it. Just we, we, we couldn't be happier. We, we got a lot of learnings, um, a lot of things we know we can improve on next year. And, and I think it'll be an even better experience for, you know, for the, for those industry thought leaders that want to come and attend the summit and even, even making changes as simple as moving it up a day, like we're talking about so that you create better opportunity for some of those business leaders to get out to Laguna Seca on what is now kind of become an industry day on Thursday. Uh, out at Sea Otter Classic. So I think, you know, little little tweaks like that will make it even even better. And Lifetime is so exceptional at listening to their customer, in this case, the, the executive, but also, I mean, I, I was amazed to, to hear Tom Bergman, the COO and president of Lifetime, correct? Correct. Um, talk about 
you know, just you're going to get a survey. Like survey was in every other sentence when he spoke at the summit. And it it was just like a small pulling back of the curtain. Like, okay, these, you know, you truly do. The consumer drives what you do. And obviously like it shows in terms of how quickly your team can respond and react. And I'm really excited to see what the, what the vision and future of that's going to be as well. And speaking of big vision, Chemo Seymour, we need to have you... Talk us through the, you know, the vision behind the Grand Prix. So if, if we could spend a couple minutes here with you just explaining what the Grand Prix is and the launch of that this year. And I want everybody to kind of hear in the background of your mind, like the Lifetime team did this in addition to pulling off their first Sea Otter Classic <laughs> and producing all these other fantastic events. Um, but you really have done something special with the Grand Prix. We're obviously only one race in with Sea Otter, but can you explain what that is to the audience and what your vision is behind that with the team? You know, Kristen, the vision, it came, you know, it came about a, roughly a year ago. We started having these conversations um, that, um, you know, just watching what's happening with cycling and, and particularly professional cycling and road cycling in, in North America. Um, it's just been painful to watch. And I'm, I'm not only a, an, an avid cyclist, as you know, but I'm a fan of professional cycling and a lot of our team is. And, you know, we, we started looking and we had this, we, we, we knew at the time we had the, the sea otter acquisition on the, it was on the horizon and we were pretty certain we were going to get that done. And we just started thinking, it's like, gosh, if anybody has a platform to try and do something to have some, to affect some positive change, we 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 probably do. And, you know, I didn't feel like we had an obligation to most of, like I, I said earlier, most of our events sell out. It's not like, it's not like we needed to drive more demand. Although I, I, I am always telling our team, we can't, we can't ever sit back on our heels and say, you know, we're always going to have more demand than supply, uh, you know, with number of, you know, available entries to races and whatnot. So I, I don't ever want us to get complacent, but, but I just thought, gosh, they're just, it's just painful watching what happens. And we thought, why not take a, put together a series and start with some of our events and it could expand beyond this someday, but do something to try and stir up a little bit more interest in what's happening with, with cycling in North America. And for us, it's primarily off-road. I've said this in the past, you know, the only, the only road cycling events we host now are at Sea Otter. Mm -hmm. um, outside of Sea Otter, everything we do is off-road, mountain bike and gravel. And so there, there was a little bit of a, gosh, we have an opportunity. There was a piece of me that felt like, not only do we have an opportunity, I almost feel like we have an obligation. Like if we don't do it, who will? Like somebody's got it, you know? So, I, you know, I don't know, you know, it's, there's nothing, it's not perfect. Um, you know, we, we get lots of criticism, uh, lots of feedback. It all started, you know, I think I told you it was when I was, uh, had some health issues a year ago and I was basically became a walker. And I would have, you know, I, I would ask different people in the industry here in Boulder to come go for walks with me in the morning and I would bounce ideas off of them. Some of them were professional cyclists. Some of them were people in the industry, brands, marketing people. Um, and I would just bounce ideas and ask for their feedback. And it really came from all of their feedback and guidance and support and encouragement to do something. And so that's, that's really how it, how it came about last year. So we know that we know we're making mistakes you know, with, with the, with the series and we will, and we'll, you know, I, I think, as you said earlier, we listen to feedback a lot and, and we'll hopefully be able to tweak and adjust and, and do something that just has some positive effect for, at least for the professional side, if it, and, and we just believe that 
if we can have a positive impact and, and a little lift on the professional side, that will trickle down and that will have a positive effect on the industry as a whole. We just, we just believe that there's, there are a lot of, you know, um, uh, counter opinions out there with, you know, the everyday average athlete that, you know, and especially the grassroots athlete that says, Oh, nobody cares about what happens at the pointy end of the spear at these races and whatnot. And that's, you know, that's historically, you know, mountain biking has kind of come from that really grassroots place and gravel has certainly come and we've gotten probably the most, most criticism from the gravel community, mm-hmm. but you know what it's getting more, if it gets a few, if it gets more people riding bikes and in my opinion, riding bikes off road, you know, how, how bad can it be? So <clears throat> I don't know. Well, there's, it's, it's definitely created a buzz. That's for sure. And I think you're being in true chemo fashion, you're being pretty hard on yourself here because you listen and because you're so, you know, a part of this community, but, um, let's not forget there's no blueprint. It's not like you were like, okay, I'm going to pick up this template. You're literally building this plane as you're flying a lot of other little planes, you're building a big plane. And there is literally like, there is no rule book there, you know, and there's so many mavericks off-road. Like that's what I think you love embracing about these communities off-road and also the the races that you've brought into your portfolio and the just the characters that found these races and the way these communities grow up. Of course, people are going to have an opinion, but at the end of the day, I know that you're seeing the, the growth in an organization you care deeply about with NICA and you're seeing so many newcomers come in from COVID. You have a huge community uh, with lifetime clubs and and you're seeing like, I think a viewpoint lifetime is that that a lot of us can't see in terms of the health and well-being and growth of cycling. And let's just, I'm just going to call it out here. Like one of the things that you're every man, every woman, however you identify at your at your mass participation cycling events, we love to be on the same course with the EF riders and and with Peter Stetna and like it's just a really special experience. So it may not suit everybody, but I think again it's going to bring great visibility. It's going to invite people in. Um, I know that you have built a much more diverse start line from this, and I love that you're totally making it okay for the team to like fail forward and create something new that's going to create some impact and change in U.S., you know, competitive cycling. And and for me, competitive cycling is something that I participate in, but it's also something I consume. So I feel like that's the special part of the Grand Prix is it makes it attainable for us to both join in, but also watch our heroes and heroines do these races. I don't know. I have to share my and I told you this in our a recent call that we have, but I want to share this with my um, audience here. But being on the course at Leadville last year and seeing Allison Tetrick coming down <laughs> from the summit of Columbine with her eyes like as big as saucers, um, just in her very first mountain bike race, like there she was, one of my heroes, and just going for it. I think she had a borrowed bike and literally, you know, was sending this downhill. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not smooth up there. It's super high altitude. And she was terrified because I said, you know, go Allie. And she had an expletive and said, I'm effing terrified as she rode by. (laughs) But I just have to tell you, like that encompassed the spirit of it. You know, she told me that she loves to just try new things and be with the, with, with the group of people that loves to do the same thing. And whether that's a pro or an amateur, like that's the spirit. 
right there. And I think that's really what the Grand Prix is. Oftentimes the pointy end of the race gets a lot of the press, but just know, I think as people experience this, we've only had one event, but as people experience this, like who are on the every man, every woman side of the racer equation, I have a feeling a very different outcome you know, will come out of this in terms of like people's experiences. So I'm just throwing that out there. I think it's amazing and brave and courageous that you guys just went for it. And I think it's wonderful, you know, to see, and we are going to learn a ton from it, but just know that like people's lives are going to change because of this. That's just sort of the nature of these events. (laughs) I think I've always loved that saying that life happens outside of your comfort zone, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and something that, that I realized it, it, it didn't dawn on me until we were sitting at sea otter actually. And I think I said this in another, uh, talking to uh, one of someone from the media out there, I realized that there probably isn't one pro in the field that's racing the the grand prix this year that is going to be comfortable at every event that we, we have people that have come from road biking that have now got into gravel racing that some, I mean, we had people that got their mountain bikes the week before the race, the race at sea otter, you know, <laughs> male and female. I mm-hmm. think, I think I, I heard that Ashton Lambie got his mountain bike, literally got it built up that week before, you know, here's, here's a world-class, you know, world record holder in the individual pursuit, fastest guy in four minutes on a bike. And he's, and he's got his name in the hat and he's out there going to race every one of these races and gets his mountain <laughs> bike to whatever the week before the race, I think I heard. I mean, this is just like, it's those kind of stories that, you know, it's in some ways it's a little bit goofy what we're doing. Right. I mean, who would, who would bring, try to bring, you know, bring a bunch of athlete professional athletes together and, and kudos to the athletes that are willing to try something that's just so far out of their comfort zone. You know, I mean, for Al, like you said, for Allie to show up and do Leadville last year, oh my gosh. And I'll tell you, a lot of them are nervous about Leadville. And then there's others that are, they've never ridden 200 miles on a bike and they're, you know, and they're all worried about, you know, riding a gravel bike and through the Flint Hills of Kansas for 200 <laughs> miles. So it's, nobody's going to be comfortable every single race. You know, that's, that's the beauty of it. It is just so beautiful. And, you know, I'm watching the Giro right now. I'm sure you are too. One of the best parts about it is seeing the beautiful landscapes and just the pageantry of it. And every one of these races has its own beautiful backdrop and pageantry and quirky, fun, cultural, like founding story. And you're also showing the world that, that part of America. And like, I don't know that it's like, quirky so much that it feels like America to me. <laughs> it's like a melting pot of cycling genres and characters and prose and the stories that are going to come out of this will be amazing. And I just want to remind everybody that these races are being broadcast live. So let's talk a little bit about that because it, it also brings in the parody aspect I wanted to touch on with you. So the, you know, the idea we, we tested uh, doing, you know, a live feed uh, with flow sports and flow bikes last year at unbound, uh, pick, tried to pick up a, roughly the last four or five hours of that event. And, and I, you know, we did that on literally, I think five days notice. I think we signed an agreement with them five days before the, the event and they came out and I think they did an amazing job given the amount of time and energy they, you know, they could put into that event. So it was a great, it was a great test. And then, you know, this year we decided, we thought, you know, we debated, you know, is it important to, to, to try to get live content out there as the events are happening, or is it more important to maybe curate the content, capture and curate some content and, and maybe post, you know, post series, tell a story about what happened. Kind of the, you know, everybody's using the analogy of drive to survive right now. And, yep. and so 
we kind of went, we went back and forth and back and forth. And Michelle Duffy, who, you know, is just brilliant person on our marketing team leads marketing for all of our events business. Now, you know, she, she really, I think struggled with what was the right approach. And in the end, she came and said, I think we should do both. And so uh, she advocated for a, uh, you know, certainly uh, improving, you know, the, what we did with flow last year at unbound, but providing some live content from every, from every, every one of the six events for the best we can. And then, and then also, um, bringing in a, a production company that would help us do a series that would be kind of post the end of the series in October, uh, after big sugar, we'll come out with a more of a curated storyline of what happened throughout the season. So we'll do a little six part series of how the, uh, how, how the lifetime grand prix, you know, transpired over six months. So we're, we're really looking forward to, to seeing what comes out of really both of them. So flow did a phenomenal job. I think at sea otter, I mean, much improved over what we did last year. And, you know, some of these upcoming events will be even more challenging, you know, but the, there's the challenges, you know, we don't have the money to invest, like, you know, like the, you know, ASO can invest in, in, you know, their events in Europe to, you know, to, to, you know, create a live feed across an entire course. We just, we, you know, a lot of these courses are very remote. And so they're, they're really creative with how they kind of, you know, you know, prepackage some content and kind of weave it in there in between live cuts of what's happening with both the male and the female, you know, pointing into the spear. It's it, and I did watch um, a lot of the coverage from the Sea Otter Classic on Flow Sports, and I know that's a subscription, but it's there's a lot of vignettes in there showcasing our athletes, and their stories are incredible. And so, I, if you are you know a member of Flow Sports, you should check those out before just so you have some context watching the series as it rolls out. Um, it's pretty remarkable to, to hear their stories and they're very candid about what they're excited about, what they're fearful of, frankly. And it's just, it really humanizes them and makes you feel like you're, you know, rooting for them and because you know their story. It's really special. And I think Lifetime is incredible at, at, at unearthing these stories and sharing them. Um, and, you know, just on that note, I just you know, as we're heading into the global gathering of gravel at Unbound, I mean, I just wanted to say you all work so hard and I think you're head down, like producing these amazing experiences, but keep in mind, like what you're bringing to us, you know, your ardent fans who are either, you know, runners and cyclists that you're serving is a way to like get back to what our new reality is. And, and a big part of the anchor of that identity is experiencing these communities and these events. So I think that as we're kind of head down, like sprinting from one event to the next and producing this content and, and whatnot, we have to also remember that you're bringing a great opportunity for, you know, athletes of all levels to get back together and just fall back in love with their sport after we've gone through the great unpleasantness. So... <laughs> It's important it's, that you remember that. <laughs> it, it, it's very important. And, you know, our team, we talk about it a lot because, you know, a lot of the energy and the, you know, a, a lot of our energy and focus goes into that, you know, kind of the front end of, of these events. And especially with the work that we put towards, you know, building this lifetime Grand Prix this year. And, um, you know, it, it's definitely, it's getting a lot of the media focus. It's getting, you know, it's creating a lot of the excitement, but the reality is, I think I've said this in the past, we're, we're going to have close to 30,000 you know, people participating in our events this year, our cycling events alone this year, you know, riding, you know, riding in our events and, you know, less than 1% of them are, are, you know, at that pro level. Right. And so yeah. our team is highly, highly focused 
although we talk a lot about that, the, the, again, the pointy end of the spear, our team is really highly focused on how do we create really just kick-ass, amazing, memorable experiences for those other 29,900 athletes that are showing <laughs> up at our events this year, right? That's, that's really where, our, believe it or not, behind the scenes, that's where our focus is. So um, it's exciting. It's fun. We're, you know, that we're, we're getting the kind of, you know, the, you know, the excitement around the Grand Prix, but I'm telling you some of the stories, I mean, one of the things when I get, when I get calls from, and and I think we might be, we might be surprising some people with some of the big names that could be showing up at Unbound. When I get calls from even some of the biggest names in the sport, the, you know, the demand is you have, they have to go to packet pickup and get their number just like everybody else. I expect them to be at the awards ceremony Sunday morning. If they, if they end up on the podium, I expect them to come back at, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night and cheer on some of the final finishers and drink beer with all the people there in the community. Like they got to do everything else just like every other athlete does. Right. So, um, you know, we do get some requests from time to time from some big name athletes that want to get in and they need to do, they need to, they need to come out and experience it just like everybody else does. I think that's awesome. And it's, it's American racing, right? Um, That finish line experience, um, you know, everything that, that you offer and and we'll be showcasing, I think people will start to feel incredibly proud and in a sense of like hometown pride nationwide around that. Um, And before we sign off here today, I want to make sure everybody knows that um, we have complete parity with the price purse and the number of um, riders. And I just want to make sure that that everybody knows the commitment that you and the team have to elevating equality in cycling and, and endurance sport. So I'd love for you to maybe close our conversation on that. Yeah, I, th- I felt, I just felt that was really important. You know, I think the the sport in general on the professional side has, has, um, um, I don't, I don't know. It's just been kind of behind the times. And, and I felt like it was important for us to really set in, in, in following the lead of some other, you know, we've got some, there's some other great event producers that have done a phenomenal job with this and really probably led more than we have. And so uh, we haven't even traditionally had prize purses at most of our events. And, and so we have a few small prize purses here and there, but yeah, I just, I felt like it was just really, it was critical to do that. And, and, um, I, I, you know, we, we've, our team has spent, you know, has put a lot of time and energy into, um, making our cycling events more welcoming to the BIPOC community, LGBTQ communities, you know, uh, non-binary transgender communities. We're just open arms to everybody. And we, and, and, and we've really worked hard. People like Christy Moan, who you know on our team, has worked tirelessly to help improve, you know, gender parity across our events. And so, um, yeah, what a better way to to kind of put our money where our mouth is. And and I'll, I'll tell you, I think the you know the the women's race is is it's just as exciting as the men's race. Anybody says it's not, they don't know what they're talking about. They're or they're not watching. It is super exciting. It was exciting to watch what went down at, at Sea Otter. I think it's going to be even more exciting at uh, at Unbound. And um, so we're we're excited to see how it plays out over the season. But yeah, oh my we, gosh. Felt, we we felt that was critical, important. If we really you know if if we really were going to um, you know practice what we've been preaching. So I think it's great. You're really setting a great example and adding that in, you know, straight away from the launch, I think really has, it makes a big statement. And just, you know, on that front, watching women cycling on the, you know, pro level 
road and cyclocross, everything, like just being able to be exposed to that through the coverage that you're also providing is huge. And it has shown just as the writer said it would in 2019 around different things that happened before the pandemic. And now we have more coverage and more women's teams like on the world tour level. And it has made such a fast impact and growth clip. I mean, I've, I just can't believe it's only been a few years and, and, and we're, we're where we are. And there's like, I think 14 world tour teams now. And now we have our series, which showcases an amazing group of professional female athletes. So it's just super exciting to see all that's ahead and to be part of that. Um, and just thank you so much for joining me here today. I've been wanting to get you on the show to get caught up on everything and to also just offer you as a great resource to the audience of Channel Mastery around consumer events and frankly, like continuing to be out in the wind and way over our skis. Like we all had to do that in COVID. And I think that there are great gains, some fun and some horrifying experiences, but some progress and some traction if we keep this mindset to try new things and to be willing to just be out there on the front with a headwind, you know? <laughs> You're doing a great job and I'm I'm so excited to be part of the team to support it. So thank you. Well, thanks, Kristen. I'm I, I'm honored every time you ask me to come on and and I, I don't know why anybody would want to hear what I have to say, but um, <laughs> I, 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 I think it's really fun. And, and I'll tell you that, you know, I, I do a few of these here and there and, and um, you know, I get a few requests once in a while. And, and, but following your, you know, each time I come on with you, that's the, that's the, the most LinkedIn requests, connect requests I ever get. So I get oh. flooded with people wanting to connect and then chatting with people and what, so I, I, I welcome people to reach out and happy to share any insights I can. I mean, there's, you know, there, there's, I don't, I don't know if there, any, anything I can do to help. And if there are other race directors that I can help or anybody that wants to hear at least our experience, I'm happy to share. So I don't know that I have much advice, but I can, I can share the experience we've been through. So. And I can attest, you are an open book and you're all about just creating growth um, and being partners to everybody. So he's not kidding everyone. So find him on LinkedIn. <laughs> Thank you so much again. And we'll definitely have you back as we get through a few more of these events. And I'm super excited to, um, you know, just see how the Grand Prix and all of the events unfold this year. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Kristen. If you liked this episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast, please help more business leaders find this resource by going to iTunes and leaving us a positive review and also sharing it with a friend or colleague. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Verde Brand Communications for being our presenting sponsor. Check us out at verdepr.com. 